Hi everyone, and here here. In season three of my audiobook podcast, I'm reading to you my latest fiction story, Bigger Than Ourselves. After the chapter, stay tuned for a mini blogcast, a blog reflection I'll read into the episode reflecting on the chapter a bit further. The stories from all three seasons are available in a new paperback compilation called Go Your Way, available now on Amazon. For more info on this compilation, a link to buy, and links to my other writing, head to my link tree linktr.ee slash danmasterton. That's l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash danmasterton. Or find me on Instagram and Twitter at this lad Dan. All right, time to meet Miss Hope. Here's chapter three. September brings competing components to the air. Some days, the clouds part to reveal a resilient sun that wants to cook the concrete like it's August and make you regret putting the sunblock away for the year. Other days, the clouds take their trial run at making a permacloud and blanket the days with grays. And then in between the sunny warmth and the cloudy cool, there are those days that are just lukewarm. It's not too hot or too cold. It's not too sunny or too cloudy. It's not warm enough for thunderstorms or cold enough for a blizzard. Sometimes those truly autumnal days can be just right even if fall hasn't officially begun. Other times, the ups and downs of a seven-day forecast can all but demoralize you. In a parish, it means shifting. It's a move off the wide-open calendars of summer when one-off events are scattered about a haphazard schedule and when liturgical choirs go on summer sabbatical. It's a shift back to the academic year, the predictability of weekdays and weekends, of religious ed schedules and Sunday youth nights. Hope was getting back to the steadiness of the year, having wrapped up a reasonably steady summer of daytime service outings and a few youth events. Normally, she would have gone on a week-long service immersion somewhere, maybe in Kentucky or West Virginia, but this year it was led entirely by volunteer parents and an agency on site. Once she got all the minivans loaded and paperwork packets distributed, she simply watched the caravan drive off and kept her phone and laptop handy to troubleshoot for her crew, but no urgent calls came. For a woman in her mid-thirties, who had only recently sustained a serious boyfriend across the two-year mark, Hope relished the newfound freedom. It gave her one more summer week to remain home, to have a few conventional evenings on her own, and to enjoy some additional summer dates. In her twenties, she poured overtime into her job, both for joy and for lack of other things to do. Now into her thirties, Hope sought to strike a more proper balance, both to passively moderate her work hours and to finally provide her a path to a settled family life with a partner. Ministerially, it was a neat milestone, too, to have organized enough engagement that she could sit out the trip herself. Yet, Hope had to acknowledge that it brought an unexpected sort of emptiness. While it was proof she had helped build something up to great size, in a sense, it also meant that it didn't need her like it once did. The kids in the program could self-sustain a bit, and, it turns out, be just fine. The group returned to her in the parish parking lot at the end of the week, full of joy and good stories and the need for a good rest. It brought mixed feelings, for sure. Either way, Hope still found some definite consolation in her work. One need look no further than the typical external monologue that accompanied her Monday morning office hours. Hope glided in from the hallway, through her almost always open door. In sockless wool runners, her feet creaked the old wooden floorboards of the slightly ramshackle rectory. Rocking dark jeans, a light blouse, and a knee-length sweater, Hope yanked her laptop out of her work bag. She set her bag down and settled into her black swivel chair. A new item chronologically mismatched to the decades-old wooden desk, hand-me-down coat stand, and wobbly off-gray file cabinets that surrounded it. Emails, 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 Hope muttered as her inbox populated with the new threads to unravel. Her eyes scanned up and down, bouncing from the old open tasks at the bottom to the new arrivals trickling in at the top. Hmm, okay. Adam's mom says he's doing well so far at college. She expects him to pop home during fall break. Oh, cool. He'll be excited to see you in the parish before we take him back. Yeah, that'll be nice. Oh man, Adam, what a kid. I wonder if college will throw him off religious life discernment. 
or maybe help it? Hmm. We'll see, she whispered to herself, identifying an insight his mother didn't even have on him. Okay, oh, Christina's mom, hmm. Loved her trip, amazed at all the women in leadership there. Thanks for referring and recommending her. Oh my gosh, of course, that kid is amazing. She's more mature than college sophomores, or even post-grad sometimes. Geez, she could probably lead that border trip in a year or two. Hope gushed over her star sophomore. But my goodness, maybe Madison should have gone with her, Hope continued aloud. I don't know if Madison would quite be ready for the hardiness of that trip, but she was so lost without Christina at the cookout, Hope sighed. Then she shifted thoughts. I wonder if Madison sees Christina as a friend or something more. Either way, I hope we can help Madison learn about herself and stay on a good path. And maybe she can even tug Katie or Eileen along in the right direction. Hope kept going, scanning on to the next lines. Ah, okay, here we go. Dear Miss Hope, she read aloud in a belabored deadpan. We received the schedule for confirmation prep, and we will have many conflicts with our club sports schedule. Prep times conflict with tournaments and games on the weekends, so we will only be at three of the eight gatherings, maybe less. We'll keep you posted. Hope rolled her eyes. No apology, no invitation to discuss accommodations, no indication of faith life taking any kind of priority. The advance notice about missing confirmation sessions was sort of nice, but it was almost a way to get mad before the problem actually transpired. It was a lot easier for things like this to shove Hope off her default optimism now than it was when she started this role 11 years ago, and this email did the trick this morning. Quickly, Hope was thinking not of fond reunions on college fall break and successful invitations for spiritual enrichment. Instead, she thought of the annual increase in emails that asked for excused absences from sacramental prep, for kids to be able to arrive late or leave early without penalty and for variances to come for a day or two of week-long team service trips instead of attending the whole thing. She was glad to have a youth group with consistent attendance, a young adult community that was small but steady, and a confirmation program with service and retreat and faith formation nicely rolled in. However, she was wearing thin in the enforcement, largely because she struggled with accepting the necessity of enforcement. She didn't fancy herself a policeman or a gatekeeper. Hope was a shepherd, a cruise director, Hope wanted to build out the fun faith schedule and recruit everyone to hop aboard the party barge. She relied on enthusiasm, positive social pressure, and gentle benevolent social shame. Hope thrived on using expectation language and community gravitational pull. She loathed having to confront penalties or withholdings for kids and families who didn't seek to comply in good faith with steady effort. In past years, she felt like she could manage the handful of families who skirted the edges of expectations with extra conversations, a supplemental phone call, maybe even a coffee chat to reestablish a plan. Now it was feeling more and more like sports camps, club athletic teams, and non-religious commitments had marginalized the community building she cared about and wished parents would similarly prioritize for their children, and that she was lucky even to receive a note of indifferent advance notice. Hope wasn't so much disappointed when people tried to undercut the minimum requirements. She was bummed that the community investment from families to help these kids find friends and a sense of belonging just wasn't there like it used to be. Okay, 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 okay. Let's take a break. Got a reply? Gotta take a break first, Hope insisted. Let's check out the DMs. Hope shoved away from her desk a little bit, careening a few feet on her swivel chair, back from the desk toward the window. She turned in her chair to face away from her desk and out the office window to the green patch of the parish campus. With the mixed morning light of fall before her, she unlocked her phone. Hope maintained a private Instagram for the young adult community, and her young adults tended to keep in touch on there. Maybe there's some light sliding into our DMs. Let's see. Hope opened the app and tapped the messages bubble. Before she read the new DMs, she remembered they were only about one month from the speaker series the young adults wanted to try. Her eyes widened as her memory kicked in to remind her. Her eyebrows bounced with a blurt of laughter. Be distilled and know that I am God, she recalled, chortling. They had identified a local distillery that had opened a woody, cozy taproom with barrels as chairs and pallets as tables. The young adults were divvying up the planning and invitation. They were into the planning of the details now. Unfortunately, there was only bad news. For better or worse, it was consolidated into one thread with a dozen messages. One of the young women had offered the grim updates in spurts. Our first choice for speaker declined, scheduling conflict. We tried to reserve space at the distillery. They said they don't do private parties and got snippy when we said we were a church group. We thought it might get a special treatment, but we think it turned them off. We were worried about just showing up and doing it now. We still are going to advertise the date and time for now. The post went up on feed and in stories with info for the night. 
It got two likes and someone commented that they can't go but let them know about the next one. We threw together $50 to promote the post to target audience, but it didn't do a ton. We were going to get together a list of people to do personal invites and try to get word out more. Someone said they already tried six people personally and got all no's or ghosted. We are going to try to think of another speaker to invite. At that point, Hope set her phone down, face down, on her knee. She gave her face a good firm raking with her palms and then rubbed her eyes. Hope had been through rough mornings, rough days, even rough weeks or months. She knew the feelings. The frustrations weren't new. This wasn't even a sort of straw that breaks the camel's back moment. She just felt like the whole of the years was hitting her in a unique aggregate this morning. It was more like a rogue wave that knocks even a seasoned beach walker out into the water. Time for coffee. Hope took a five-minute stroll down to the corner where the staff at a little cafe, Remove Your Shoes, knew her by name. She greeted the Monday shift crew and grabbed a stool near the wall. They knew her order and got right to it. Easy ice cold brew with skim milk and vanilla syrup. They also made her a large but charged her for a medium, knowing she'd tip more than the difference anyway. The plastic cup with a cardboard sleeve got set on the counter. Hope knew they couldn't allow reusable cups because of silly local health codes, and hoped she could accustom them to omitting that cardboard sleeve. For now, Hope just pulled her reusable travel straw from her purse and stuck it in her drink and tossed her tip in the jar. A knowing smile from her to the workers wordlessly affirmed that neither side had time today for small talk, but the bond endured, somehow present in the mixed beverage now conveyed to her hand. After a few cold, fresh sips and a brisk stride walking back to the office, Hope had enough resolve to send some replies and temporarily weather the frustration. She embraced her day being a tasks and productivity day, even at the expense of human warmth and pastoral interactions about the parish halls or community spaces. As she neared the end of the day and realized her empty, sweaty coffee cup was still sitting on the corner of her desk, she went to recycle the components and rinse her straw. Before she could toss the cardboard, the random quote, which Remove Your Shoes always had printed on its sleeves, which she sometimes read and rarely heeded, caught her eye. For some reason, she read this one aloud. The fallow ground is empty, yielding nothing now so it can yield much to come. Huh. Hope, in slow motion, removed her reusable straw. Under the quote, in pale black stamp ink, Hope eyeballed the cafe logo again. Remove your shoes. These are holy grounds. And then tossed the empty cup and lid in the blue bin. She silently read the quote again and stuck the cardboard in her pocket. The next Monday, Hope was back at Remove Your Shoes. Her work laptop was at the parish. Her office was vacant, though not empty. Her calendar was largely cleared, though not empty. Her position was temporarily vacated. Hope was on sabbatical, sort of. At the fiscal year-end meeting in the summer, the pastor had shared that parish finances were solid, if not strong, but that he'd surely like to have more wiggle room. Father Joseph quickly dashed any fears of layoffs and simply shared that they couldn't be entertaining any hiring, even part-time, for a little while. He made a fresh plea for financial discipline, to limit incidental purchasing needs, and try to use materials and items already on site to build out some breathing room. He pledged to keep them posted about annual cost of living raises that would hopefully be unaffected at the end of the year. And then that was the end of it. But as Hope continued to beat back frustrations that first week in September, she acknowledged that she might be closer to the end of her fuse than she previously realized. Hope took stock of a few details. She confirmed that she had maxed out the number of sick days she could retain in her bank. She confirmed she had used just two days vacation so far for the year. She reflected on the critical mass moment with youth group volunteers that propelled a successful out-of-state service trip that could excel without her. With all that as a basis, Hope cut a deal with Father Joseph. One week paid sick time, one week paid vacation time, and one week unpaid furlough time, though without interruption to benefits. She'd set up three of the weekly youth nights to run without her. She'd tell the young adults to take the month off and regroup, too. In fact, she sent them a gift card from her own pocket that would cover the first round for each of them at that new distillery, jokingly cautioning them to perhaps go in anonymously. And as for Hope, she'd allow herself a few sleep-ins and extra leisure time, but the priority was a bit of a professional freelance project, a period of time when she could eschew any productivity measures in favor of creative explorations. Hope would head out into the community for three weeks and try to figure out where are these young people and young adults, and what would good youth and young adult ministry with them look like now? Easy peasy. Not. The day before, Hope had tended to youth night, finishing her last conventional week. 
for she, like a good parish worker, reckoned her weeks the European way from Mondays to Sundays. She told the kid she was rotating in some other volunteer leaders to bring a mix of voices and allow herself a break for another project. After the kids were all gone, Hope took one last swing through her office to ensure she had a good survival kit and pledged to stay away for three full weeks. The evolving context of her ministries was edging her toward burnout. She hoped that this chance to ask different questions and find new answers might help her set a fresh path. The first one would be this Thursday, when her young adults planned to meet up and unwind with a glass of distilled spirits or two. Since Hope was already treating for the first round, she didn't mind inviting herself, and they happily accepted. She spent some time sketching out a few questions, keen to prepare a bit but not get overly rigid or formal as she searched. Hope had been running ahead all week. Turns out just four days into a mini sabbatical that pruning down a calendar left her feeling pretty on top of her short lists of tasks. She found herself early to the meetup with her young adult leads, relaxedly sitting on her barrel stool, holding a pallet top table while waiting for her three collaborators to arrive. Hope took advantage of the moment to jump ahead on another avenue of outreach. More DMs to more young adults, particularly the ones who had become parents. Hope kept the first message pretty brief, drawing on some questions she had sketched out for tonight and peppering in brief invitations in a few copy-paste messages to folks. Her fingers moved feverishly about the screen, motivated and decisive, but not rushed. As she sent off a fourth message, her team showed up all at once. Juan and Lisbeth, a Latino boyfriend-girlfriend pair, and their close collaborator Ryan, an openly gay Catholic and self-effacingly happy third wheel, approached the table. Lisbeth leaned in to hug Hope as she climbed off her barrel stool, and Ryan and Juan followed suit. They chatted casually for a bit about work and weather, long enough to order drinks. The waiter set down a rum and coke for Ryan, a tropical drink for Lisbeth, and then two neat whiskeys for Juan and Hope. The table was just the conditioned and reclaimed square of a pallet, secured to the flat round top of a disused oak barrel, branded with the faded name of an unknown distillery. The distillery's paper coasters caught the sweat off their glasses, and their four barrel bar stools edged up against the bands that kept the barrel's planks flush. The barrel's old contents had only reached peak tastiness after sitting for years, a decade even, absorbing the unique woody flavors of their container and bringing color and character to make the previously simpler liquid, within, into something more. The four of them reached over the top of the veteran barrel for the glasses to toast the conversation. The satisfying clink of the gently heavy glasses provided a segue into Hope's low-key business for the night. It may have been a bit zealous, but she was excited to hear from them. Okay, first curiosity, she started, leaning into the thrill of her task transparently. I hear a lot of encouragement to go where young people are and stop waiting for them to come to me. And I don't disagree, so where are young adults, Hope asked. The three of them involuntarily offered a mix of smiles, chuckles, and discomfort. Not at church, Juan blurted, a bit peeved, but not angry. He was realistic. Hope watched and listened. She wasn't a note-taker. She was a people-watcher. She would readily acknowledge that this was a risky strategy, one that sometimes caused her to forget a few of the details. Yet, she preferred her eye contact and visual observation, even if it limited recording notes, rather than having to bury her face in a notepad or have to multitask. They're still out there, and many of them still believe. In something, Ryan added. But I don't think they replace going to church with going to anywhere else. I think they just don't go anywhere for that. Lisbeth chimed in. I think a lot of people are inside their own heads and hearts. I don't even think a lot of them are directly or even explicitly critical of the church or priests or anything. I just think they're so used to picking what they watch, what they listen to, what they eat and drink, and when they do things. So the idea of having to be somewhere at a certain time and place, and listening to some person and some message they didn't really pick, it just doesn't mesh. It's too preset, it's too rigid for people, she suggested. So I think a lot of them are kind of nowhere, but not necessarily feeling lost. Hmm, so where do we find them? How do I find them? How do I engage them, Hope wondered. I mean, I think it's easiest to double down more on people while they're somewhere set, Juan conjectured. As long as they're in college, we know where they'll be for at least a few years. After that, they might move or change jobs or change communities every few months or years, and rarely or never sink many roots in places, and they could be really hard to find. So I don't know if that means you, and I mean like you, Hope, our young adult person, have to go visit campuses or you got to network with people at Newman centers and campus ministries, but it's hard to say where people are after college because it can be everywhere and nowhere. Yeah, because I think there's plenty of places where young adults are, 
But I just can't imagine you, Lisbeth continued, gesturing to Hope, or us or any Catholic priest, like preaching in a bar or walking around restaurant tables with brochures. It just feels off or disingenuous even. I think that's right, affirmed Ryan. It feels silly even, but there's got to be some kind of middle ground between clunky evangelization like that and just setting up fortress ministry in the churches. Like, I think it's interesting, though it pains me to say, how people from Jesuit high schools and universities seem a little more plugged into some kind of network, he admitted, letting follow a mildly exasperated sigh for his Holy Cross-administered alma mater, Portland University. I don't think they're necessarily going to masses and belonging to parishes at higher rates, but something about their connection with each other, with a faith that does justice, with the extension into adult life through volunteer communities, through national and international services like for refugees and solidarity service learning, the way the professed men move around and network with them, it just all adds up to some different kind of belonging and one that's more ready-made to be decentralized. That's definitely true, Elizabeth echoed, herself a Notre Dame grad married to a Loyola Chicago alum. I wonder if there's a way to tap into that, to work with alumni associations or even the upper years of students who get involved in college campus ministries. Could we like offer a church crawl with some other area parishes, help college students see what post-college faith life can look like? Or could we have open socials at some tap rooms and new restaurants that are more purely social? I feel like planning some stuff that is less focused on what we believe or how we pray, but still trying to build community might be more easily accessed by skeptics or non-religious people. But I'm conflicted because I don't want to cut all that away from what we do together. Juan bit his lip a bit as he shook his head. Hope's mental notepad was keeping up and she tilted her glance from Liz to Juan as he geared up to follow. Yeah, I don't like that either, but it's just that so many people I know are saying they were raised Catholic. And as much as it irks me, you are Catholic. You're forever baptized. It is the reality. So it might mean an aversion to formal belonging or to priests and bishops authority or skepticism of some of the prayer and liturgical practice. But it also usually means some kind of fondness for the community life, the outreach to people on the margins, the cultural customs around the holidays. It doesn't mean they've zeroed out their Catholicism and deleted it from their hard drive. I think the gateway to re-engage is somewhere on those avenues. And that the catechetical stuff, as much as I love it, just might not draw people, Juan admitted a bit begrudgingly, his former life as postgrad volunteer youth minister showing. I think people would still respond to social gatherings, outreach actions, and fellowship. And I think if you build credibility and keep the connections to the church looser and gentler, I think you can make that turn a little gradually in bits and pieces, Ryan suggested. What that looks like, I'm not really sure. I do think there's one idea, but it's more of a home run idea. It's pretty tricky, Lisbeth teased. Hope was pretty committed to doing minimal talking and was glad to keep listening along, especially at such an enticing setup. Young adults like to travel. They like photo ops and beautiful new places. They want to go places where they can share about their outings and be seen and get likes and comments off it. I think you could maybe get some traction with like a loosely assembled pilgrimage. Maybe it's a cultural and culinary tour in Mexico leading to some churches and then to Tepeyac and the Tilma. Maybe it's pubs and pews in the west of Ireland to eventually get to the apparition shrine at Nac. Maybe you could get some outdoorsy folks who would tackle a mini Camino de Santiago in Spain. Hope knew the problems here and they largely had to do with commitment. For many young adults, it probably wasn't even a money issue. It was a problem with getting folks to commit to blocking off the dates, to paying the deposits, to following through with going, and to avoiding planning out a majorly complex and expensive trip that would fall apart. She held her tongue. A fresh start would require fresh thinking, which meant marinating on ideas she might have previously dismissed or put down. Hope wanted to go there and live there, at least for these three weeks and then tried to carry it strong into her return. I wonder if we could loosen the structure to get more buy-in, Hope thought aloud. Maybe we could identify a destination and some major stops, but we don't quite yet set dates or lock in a travel company or anything. We just try to rally a smaller group to show interest and put down a refundable deposit, and we slow walk it to build out an itinerary and maybe grow the group, hang on to the non-refundable, no-turning-back scary stuff as long as possible. Hope paused. Juan and Liz and Ryan weren't shooting anything down. They were thinking. Maybe we can even get some support from the parish. I feel like there are groups who like to come together and fundraise for women's and children's shelters and for outreach stuff. I wonder if we could engage them in underwriting these faith enrichment experiences for young adults. 
at least subsidizing it down a bit or guaranteeing deposits. Maybe we even present it to them as just paying for the big faith experience at the end. The conversation zoomed in. They tossed around pilgrimage destinations and ways to roll in cultural elements in countries they'd visit and avenues to avoid overwhelming faith-hesitant young adults with too much churchy stuff. They discussed the pros and cons and especially the limitations of digital evangelization. They loved the ability to craft and present engaging stories, but wondered about carrying that forward into relationship and community that extended beyond individual passive consumption. They liked the decentralized reach of religious communities and wondered if there were communities of religious men and women who might be logical partners. Hope stayed through the last sip of her glass, relishing the humble, generous creativity of young adults she deeply respected. At a certain point, she felt it best to bid them adieu, to let them brainstorm on their own. She thanked them for their candor and commitment, but wanted them to have their own space. Hope left with half-thoughts bubbling up like foam in a freshly tapped beer. She decided to go journal at a brewery. On Sunday evening, Hope found herself at Mass. At the time when she would normally be knee-deep in youth night, her knees were instead pressed into a kneeler, but she wasn't at St. Brendan. She wanted to go to Mass just like any other Sunday, but she chose to stay away from her home and work parish and make a low-key pastoral visit to St. Dominic Savio a few times over. Some friends around the diocese had occasionally talked up their young adult Mass. Tonight, with a rare free Sunday night, Hope finally had to check it out for herself. On her way in, Hope was greeted by a handful of young adults offering programs for Mass and a smiling welcome. When she rose for the entrance procession, she noticed young adults serving as acolytes, another young adult who'd apparently be the lector, carrying the Book of the Gospels, and several others who'd presumably be Eucharistic ministers. All of these folks discharged their ministries in the liturgy, and then the same handful who had greeted her at the start dutifully circulated the collection baskets during the preparation of the altar, while a young adult instrumental ensemble and cantor offered a reflective song. The music minister's choices, from gathering him through the end of Mass, were praise and worship style songs. This preparatory song was one of orthodox devotion, but comprised of rhythms and melodies that only the familiar ear could or would catch on to and join in singing. Hope was taking careful note of all these ministerial entry points. She was holding fast to the pledge she made in this project, to recommit herself and her parish to a widened imagination, to a mindset that resisted building rigid boxes or drawing harsh boundaries, whether unintentionally or otherwise. Now, after receiving communion from a careful, attentive young adult minister, Hope was back at the kneeler, collecting all the witness around her. While the church was far from full, every other pew had a smattering of young adults, some couples, some singles, and even some young parents with baby carriers or toddlers. A few things caught her eye in particular. First, she noticed a couple elderly folks on the opposite side, as well as an older woman a few rows behind her. Even if this mass was known for young adult attendance, it was good that older folks still felt welcome then too. Next, way in the back, she saw two young ladies on the far side who were very pronounced in their kneeling, bowed posture and veiled heads. A couple rows in front of them, she noted a well-dressed young man in a suit, apparently there on his own, and a couple with an impossibly tiny baby taking turns bouncing the little one in each of their arms. It appeared that there was a bit of a mutually established buffer zone between this back row's contingent and the rest of the congregation. Hope noticed some folks from the former group had made pronounced reverent receptions of communion on the tongue while kneeling. Before everyone parted, the celebrant invited them to sit for announcements. At that point, three of the greeters came forward to reverence the sanctuary and head to the ambo. One young woman stopped short and let the other two head on up to the ambo. She set herself up in front of the lectern on the sanctuary steps, while another young woman and a young man approached the microphone at the ambo. That first young woman took out her phone and began recording a movie as her teammates spoke at the mic. The young man began the announcements. Good evening, everyone. We hope you've had a meaningful experience of communion with Christ and with one another here at St. Dominic. The parish and the young adult animators are glad to be with you, he began. The Knights of Columbus are open to new members, and our parish chapter is seeking men in our parish who wish to belong, especially young adult men. Consider joining this fraternal ministry of charity, service, and prayer with the men of this community. The Knights will lead their weekly rosary for families and for the lives of the unborn by the Mary statue after 10 a.m. Mass next Sunday and every Sunday. You are always welcome to join them. As we try to do each year in these dog days of ordinary time, we will stage perpetual adoration in October with an opening prayer service, 40 hours of adoration, and a big benediction at the close. 
Slots are now available. Stop by an Usher with the iPad on your way out to grab a time. At this point, Hope was sensing a trend. She certainly wasn't against any of these staples of Catholic piety, yet she wouldn't necessarily be the one who'd advocate for and organize them either. They just weren't her particular flavor of ministry, though she acknowledged their rightful and meaningful place in a landscape of spiritual life. And hearing about them here at another parish reminded her of the importance of seeing beyond her personal tastes, not unlike a chef or baker who has to prepare foods based on what others will enjoy, instead of thinking only of what she herself likes best. Hope started to think perhaps the intel gathering had ended for the night. Her mind began to drift toward the exit in a premature misa. Then the first speaker yielded, and the second young adult took the mic. The young woman continued. Next week, we will have our food delivery and prep night for our soup kitchen service. Wednesday night is when the parish kitchen will open for folks to drop items or come and prepare items together for Thursday night's supper. Check the bulletin website or social for the details. We'd love to see you there. We also have some loose surplus toiletries, so an extra station will be set up in the kitchen. Our Dominic Duffels are the personal care packs that help people experiencing homelessness with these basic hygienic needs. They have toiletries and also include some vouchers and gift cards. Folks who come are welcome to assemble those at our food prep night. We'll bring a bunch to the soup kitchen, and you're all welcome to take a few for people you may see throughout the week around town. Remember, too, that the kits include a schedule of masses and reconciliation, and we try to add a handwritten note in each kit to invite folks to join us in prayer. Hope loved these ideas. They weren't anything new, but she heard them from a fresh voice with fresh ears and the new oldness livened them up to her. Finally, you can always see the weekly announcements on our Instagram and Snapchat, even if you're not at Mass, she said as she turned to wave to the colleague shooting the video. See you in the front plaza after Mass for mugs and munchkins. You don't want to miss it. At that, the three of them alighted, bowed to the sanctuary, and returned to their seats. Their jokes had earned a mild chuckle. The Mass then ended and they all went in peace, variously attempting to glorify the Lord by their lives. Hope lingered a moment to watch the young adults exit, and then followed the crowd out to the steps. There she beheld a modest-sized crowd, chatting mostly in twos and threes, with one outsized circle convened near the hospitality table. She saw the celebrant chatting with them for a moment before separating himself to return inside and divest. Hope saw the two young women who had helped with announcements circulating among the crowd, and they were coming her way. Hi, one of them started. I'm Jackie, and this is Jenny. We didn't recognize you, so we just wanted to say hello. Hope was delighted. It was such a simple gesture, but something that can be oddly rare in the church. I'm Hope. I actually belong to St. Brendan, but I had heard such great things about your evening mass that I wanted to come and see, Hope shared. Certainly not lying, but not showing her entire hand. Well, welcome, Hope. We're so glad to meet you, Jenny replied. So I'm just going to ask, how did you do this? How do you have a nice, engaged community here? I'm so impressed by what you're doing all together, Hope shared. Jenny and Jackie smiled, perhaps a smidge embarrassed to be affirmed so quickly. Thank you so much for saying that. I wouldn't say that we're perfect or anything. We feel like there's a lot more people we could be reaching and getting here with us. We just try to keep personally inviting friends, neighbors, people we see or meet around town, Jackie admitted. But really, there's no secret sauce or anything. We try to set programming from what people explicitly want or are looking for. We try to offer a range of things to engage a range of people and pieties. We know we can't just be focused on getting everyone to come to Mass or come back to Mass. When we meet to plan, we pray together and try to act from discernment, not be too obsessed with business, Jenny added. Jackie nodded as they shrugged at each other. Hope shook her head in mild awe of the simplicity and smiled at them. We're going to keep checking in with folks, but we're glad to meet you, Hope, Jackie said, reaching to shake her hand. As Jackie shook, Jenny added, come back anytime. You're always welcome at St. Dominic Savio. Hope shook Jenny's hand and watched them cycle on. She swung by the table to grab two munchkins, holding one in each hand. As she walked back toward her car with the social scene gently spinning on behind her, she thought aloud, invite, listen, pray. Why didn't I think of that? Especially that last part, Hope bemoaned, feeling somewhat exposed for thinking too much like a business person and not enough like a follower of Christ. She stuffed a hunk of chocolate donut in her mouth. Hope spent the week researching and reading, writing and sending. She skimmed her way through some social science research. Hope refreshed her understanding of moral therapeutic deism, the vanilla faith that sees God more as some kind of butler of convenience than anything else. She learned about how young adults are more likely to seek components of religion and spirituality a la carte, rather than formally throw their lots in with some specific tradition entirely. 
and Hope read about how young people often don't consider faith leaders to be trustworthy and interested mentors, but often see them as impersonal authority figures who aren't connected closely enough with them. Hope also zipped off a ton more direct messages on her work Instagram. She had gotten a few positive replies to her more generic note, so now she tossed some mix and match questions at them. If you still pray, especially when you're not at Mass, how do you like to pray? If you or your friends don't go to Mass, how do you like to live out your faith? Do you see community service and outreach as faith actions? Why do you think certain people still come to church for baptisms or weddings or funerals, but are unlikely to ever come on regular Sundays? Hope had no idea how insightful the answers may be, but she cast a wide net trying to get some dialogue going with anyone who'd taken the time to follow her young adult feed, and she was looking forward to adding church and youth group announcements to the social stream. For now, it was again Sunday night, and Hope again had a mission planned. For this one, she had grabbed her work keys and headed to St. Brendan. Youth group started at 7 p.m. in the church, so she headed in at 6.30. But this Sunday, Hope wasn't there to prep or set up or support her delegated team. She headed up to the choir loft in the church. Hope's plan was to hunker down to see how her youth did with different people running the show. She knew the parents who had tagged in, and she had a sense of how they might tackle things. Hope wasn't so much interested in quality control or seeing what they might say about her. Rather, she wanted to know how those she empowered and trusted were doing their thing, and she wanted to learn from watching how they serve unencumbered. Hope ascended the steps into the perch that overlooked the still-empty church and cozied in, choosing to sit with her back to the first pew, crouched low enough that the front wall of the loft obscured her from view of those down below. With the sound system on, she figured she could hear most of what was going on over the church speakers. Then she clicked on the feed monitor beside her, the screen in the loft that the music ministers sometimes used to get a helpful zoomed-in view of the sanctuary. Over the next few minutes, she sensed the crowd grow as the noise swelled. Murmurs turned to conversations until the quiet din snowballed into the mild buzz of a small crowd. At 7.03 p.m., the adults took their place at the front. The kids quieted down on their own. Good evening, everyone, one mom began. We're excited to be here while Miss Hope is away. Our plan for tonight is really simple. We have a brief prayer activity to start, then we'll invite up some guest speakers who will share for a bit, and then join you in small groups for a chat. We'll finish with a share-out and communal intentions before heading home. Sure enough, it was that simple. Another mom stepped forward to lead prayer. They began with the sign of the cross. She then explained they'd listen to a reading aloud. She'd read first, then a teen would read it aloud again. Finally, they'd pass around a special item and invite everyone to share a key word or phrase from what they just heard. The two readers took their turns. Their passage was a portion of St. John Henry Cardinal Newman's Prayer on Service. God has created me to do him some definite service. He has committed some work to me which he has not committed to another. I have my mission. I never may know it in this life, but I shall be told it in the next. Somehow I am necessary for his purposes. I have a part in this great work. I am a link in a chain, a bond of connection between persons. He has not created me for naught. I shall do good. I shall do his work. I shall be an angel of peace, a preacher of truth in my own place while not intending it. If I do but keep his commandments and serve him in my calling, therefore I will trust him. Whatever, wherever I am, I can never be thrown away. The mom then grabbed an empty shiborium from the gifts table and held it up as she announced, I am a link in a chain. She then passed the bowl to the teen on the end of the front row. Hope listened as the teens chimed in, hazarding a brief peek down toward the kids that would briefly expose the top of her head. She noticed Madison was back next to Christina. They had sat in the front row. Madison intoned, I am necessary. And Christina followed with, I will trust him. The bull moved across the pews to a chorus of varying input, with everyone participating, even if some in the back shared their bits with minimal feeling. When the bull returned to the front, a dad took the chaborium and functioned as the final sharer, choosing to say, some definite service. He then took the lead, sharing a brief reflection. Some of us may have heard a lot about vocation over the years, and maybe we're sick of it. Some of us maybe haven't heard much about vocation and have no idea what it's about. Maybe a few folks even have the perception that vocations are all about making young men become priests. Either way, let's see if we can take it with a cleaner slate tonight. First, all of you are baptized. In your baptism, you were made to be part of someone, Jesus, and something, our church, that is bigger than yourself. And the baptismal call 
we all share is the call to holiness, that is, to know that we are beloved children of God. Second, we all live out a state of life. We all start as single people. Some of us find God's invitation to marriage and family life. Some of us answer God's invitation to religious life as a brother or priest or sister, or maybe to serve a diocese as a priest. Other people will remain single for their whole lives. Each of these states of life has a lot of distinct space for us to give and receive love in various ways. What's more, we all find particular vocations. Things like careers in business or medicine or skilled labor or education. Things like serving as a volunteer tutor or a meal delivery driver or food pantry distributor. And even within those things, we may identify specific actions or specialties that really make our gifts and passions shine in service of others. Why get into all of this tonight? Well, it takes discernment to get there. Prayerful decision-making processes that invite God and others in to help you identify God's will in your life. But for now, in this one hour of one night, we wanted to offer you some familiar examples of vocation. People from this youth group. Come on out, folks. At that moment, a few folks emerged from the sacristy and waltzed down toward the adult leaders. A few of the kids in the pews got excited, smiling and waving at familiar faces and edging forward to see who all had come. A few others maintained their low-energy body language. Hope belonged to the former category. Oh my gosh, she whispered, slapping her hand over her mouth as she remembered her clandestiny. That's Jenny and Daniel and Peter and... She thought, I don't recognize that guy. But hey, that's Adam. I didn't think we'd see him so soon. Hope maintained silence as she listened to them. Jenny was a registered nurse working in the hospital after completing an undergrad degree in nursing and starting her career. She didn't come to St. Brendan anymore, but she continued to go to Mass at a new parish she joined in the city. The tricky part was that sometimes the rotation of her night shift created a conflict with every possible Mass on Sunday at the parish. Part of her hated missing Mass, while part of her accepted the temporarily irreconcilable conflict. Danielle had tried a few majors and careers in college and after. She had a psychology degree for lack of anything better she could come up with. She eventually ended up trying out hairstyling and took a beautician's class. Something in her clicked. She now had a chair in a salon where she was sort of her own boss. On top of that, she had recently connected to a service that stages haircuts for elderly people and people experiencing homelessness, and she'd begun dedicating some time each week to this sort of pro bono work. Peter talked briefly about his major in accounting and the steady, lucrative, stressful job he gained. He even admitted he often is too stressed and tired to keep up with going to Mass. Danielle chimed back in to admit she hadn't joined a parish either. But Peter was excited to be invited back to youth group and bring his cousin who had decided to try out religious life. Peter introduced him. His name was Noah, and he talked a bit longer than Peter and the young women. Noah talked in broad strokes about the ways he tried different prayer and found different conversation partners to help him along. Make sure you think expansively, imaginatively. Try various styles of prayer. Try talking to different trusted people. Try following different gifts and passions. Never get bogged down in what you are not or what you can't do. Try your best to work past any scarcity, and work instead from places of abundance. God has many ongoing invitations for you, for sure, Noah shared. Adam went last. He was taking a quick stop home from college just to pop in tonight, and he warned them not to say too much to his mom, who only found out last minute and barely gotten to see him. Just a freshman in college, he was still working on his major, not entirely sure of himself and perhaps a bit influenced by the impending monk to his right. He suggested he was thinking about studying theology, but wasn't quite sure. For now, he was enjoying getting comfortable, meeting friends in his classes, getting to know the guys in his dorm, and discovering the informal, enthusiastic vibes of dorm mass, where people were glad to be together for church. Hope was delighted. The adults gave directions to the teens to break into groups and head to different areas of the church. Each of the young adult speakers then went with an adult leader each, and the pairs of adults helped facilitate discussions among the groups of youth. After a good bit, the adult leaders convened in the middle aisle and coordinated a shouted share-out from each group. Hope was impressed at the takeaways the teens offered. Don't be afraid to make a mistake in good faith. Just be thoughtful and prayerful about reflecting on it. Don't assume any career leaves no space for being a person of faith and justice. Be creative and follow the Spirit. Going to Mass is good, but don't get too guilty when you don't make it there every time. Be imaginative about what counts as a prayer and how you can make things prayerful. Find God everywhere. They then closed with the usual communal petitions and Lord's Prayer, including a sign of peace as people departed. 
Hope was kneeling, staying low and out of sight. She was watching the goodness unfolding on the little monitor. Then, gradually, sounds of doors opening and closing began to echo about the church. As people headed for the exits, Hope was feeling less like a surveilling creep and more like a proud guardian angel. I almost feel like they don't need me, and not even in a butthurt kind of way, just that maybe I've achieved my own obsolescence, Hope murmured aloud. This time the urge to think out loud was undeniable, and the shrinking size of the crowd below made it less risky. Nah, I, I still want to be there, and there are still things I can do. This is a new opportunity. Make invitations, those invited will make invitations, and delegate them real responsibility and leadership. Make space, let them serve, give them feedback, walk with them and support them. All this time I felt I mostly have to be front and center when maybe I should be way back here, Hope acknowledged. Her perch was helping her conceive of a higher altitude supervisory role, one that moved her back from some of the old front lines. Much as she loved Remove Your Shoes, Hope opted to head to a different coffee shop at the end of her little project, one in a neighborhood better known for attracting the 20 and 30-somethings, the ones who wanted to stand in crowds and wait for tables outside bustling brunch spots, pay needless covers to stand around in jam-packed and sweaty bars, and shop for pricey craft wares and tiny portion gourmet meals. This one was called Square Peg Round Mugs. She ordered from the guy at the counter with the tablet, and after a minute, she grabbed her custom cold brew off the order counter and settled into an easy chair with her DMs. Before she could get too deep into her phone, Hope realized just about everyone around her was on a phone or laptop. She wanted to give some benefit of the doubt before getting too judgy. Mid-morning was prime time to take your work to a cafe for a coffee break or step out of your work-from-home area to change things up. And that's what she was there to do, too. Yet, it was still jarring to find that no one was having unencumbered table conversation over their coffee mugs. Hope wasn't one to be too critical of new media and communications, even if she tried not to overdo it in her own life. After all, she had built a nice little online community for her young adults via this private Instagram account and inbox. What knocked Hope's socks off as she looked around this cafe was the pace of consumption. As surreptitiously as she could, she peered around the room. One young woman had her back to Hope so Hope could see her screen easily. The blistering cadence of her rhythmic tapping through stories, to advance panels, to skip to the next story, to swipe up for an emoji reaction, gave Hope whiplash. Hope imagined social media being a supplemental means of communicating and staying socially engaged with others. What she witnessed on that screen looked more like a factory assembly line, manufacturing a cheaply mass-produced item rather than handcrafting some artisanal thing. One table over, a young man with his back to Hope was showing his hand as well. He was on his Instagram feed, and the vertical movement was aggressive. His pointer flicked the scroll upward with vigor, only for the tip of his finger to land again not half a second later with a glassy thump. Occasionally, there'd be a quick double tap or a hastily typed terse comment shot into the roll, but these lasted just a beat before the flicking finger returned to move the belt along. Opposite of that young man was a male friend. He was also on his phone. He seemed to be moving a bit slower and looking a bit harder at his phone. There wasn't the same urgency of movement. It seemed like he was savoring his feet a bit more carefully. Then he got wide eyes and a big smile. He tapped his friend's arm to look up from his phone. The slow-scrolling fellow then turned his phone to face his friend, and Hope, to reveal a very good-looking woman in lingerie who was doing a short, looping dance. From behind, Hope could tell this had broken the first guy's scroll speed, and she noticed him nod in encouraging approval. Okay, enough of that then, Hope thought, opting to turn back toward her own phone, hopefully for redemption. Hope popped open her Instagram to the DMs. She had sent such a mix of questions to a mix of folks that she wasn't so interested in staying organized, as she was in just combing through the replies for ideas and common threads. She read through some replies in her head. Hey Hope, I was thinking about your prayer question. I honestly just don't feel like I have to come to Mass to pray. I have these little sporadic devotions that fill me up, like I have these little keychains of my favorite saints on my keys. I often notice them when I'm going in or out somewhere when I start my car, and they tip me off to say a tiny prayer of intercession. And usually it's not even for anything major, just to watch over me and bless me. So for prayer, I find myself probably not praying as much as I think I should, and not going to Mass as much as I think I should, but I like having ways to step up my prayer when I feel like I need it. I've definitely stopped by St. Brendan on my commute home just to sit and pray by myself, just because I wanted the church around me for the calm and quiet. It's like the grotto at my college or a walk on a nature trail. I like having a special setting when I need it. 
Yeah, I don't really go to church, but for whatever reasons, I still carry a rosary. I only say some of the prayers or maybe a decade once in a while, but it comes with me wherever I go. Old habits. There's a lot going on here, Hope thought. How do we help others decide they want to go to church, to Mass, instead of feeling like they have to go or not wanting to feel like they have to go? At least sacramentals are still a thing. Love that. She kept reading, starting with a second reply from that old habits respondent and kept moving down her inbox. But yeah, I like this young adult group because these people want to help and serve. I don't know anywhere else in my life where I'd get that from. I mean, I know people who are good-hearted and kind, but they don't spend any time volunteering or trying to raise money for people in need. I like that even if I don't go to church, I found a group of friends who all value serving. I like the positive influence, that we all try to do it together and keep each other doing it. Hey, so yeah, I don't go to Mass. I don't even technically belong to St. Brendan. I just don't want to be part of the organization. The abuse and cover-up, too much for me. But I do like going to the community service stuff with the group, so I stay in with that. There's something still going in me. Even though my first communion and first reconciliation and confirmation seemed so long ago, there's something still spinning in me from even all the way back then. I haven't been in religious ed for a long time or gone to Mass even on Christmas in a long time. There's just this leftover urge to have a little connection still. So for me, it's the food drives, winter cloak collection, that stuff. Geez, the sense of belonging is just so different and reformulated now, Hope thought. Even if it was still strong, would they even want to affiliate with the church? Anyway, serving can still keep them part of something bigger than themselves, so we have to maintain that. Just before Hope went on to the last new message thread, a phone a few tables over caught her eye. The young woman using it had stopped tapping. She slunk her shoulders and let out a sigh. As her body sagged, she let her arm flop sideways, hands still clutching the phone. Hope could see the screen, now tilted at a funny angle. She too had Instagram DMs open, but she was replying rather than reading, and Hope could clearly see a quite lengthy reply, lines upon lines of text stretching the entry box to take up much of the screen. To Hope, it looked like her message may have been better to become a handwritten letter or an email, or maybe a series of texts or DMs. No matter her opinion, this person had clearly identified a moment and picked an outlet to spell out something in depth. Hope was surprised, mainly because she never imagined people's DMs being more than a place for quick chats or little plans or maybe flirting. Something about this site suggested this was more serious business, and nonetheless unfolding in a DM inbox. Hope's face betrayed some mixed emotions and curiosity-tinged confusion. She snapped herself out of it, wishing she hadn't ended up staring for those few seconds. Her eyes darted back to her own screen to hide, as if that would work as a shield. She opened her last message. Sure enough, it too, though in spurty waves, was altogether as long as the screen. Hi Hope, I'll be real. I looked at your questions and wasn't sure which of my thoughts belonged here, so I just kind of combined everything into one reply. I like going to church. I liked religious ed and sacramental prep. I liked First Communion and Confirmation. I even liked going to confession sometimes. I don't like getting hit up for money. I don't like feeling like I'm part of something that my gay friends and pro-choice friends don't approve of. I don't like how new abuses and cover-ups keep coming out. But maybe most impactful is that I'm not good at making good habits. I go out with friends and have a good time and have one or two too many drinks. I swear I won't ever drink that much again. Then three weeks later, I make the same mistake. I say that I'm going to stick with the job, give it three years. Then six months in, I'm changing my LinkedIn status and skimming job boards and applying for new stuff again. I meet a girl who I think is beautiful and smart and funny. I say I'm going to chill out and focus on her and be attentive. Then I'm flighty and non-committal and she leaves. So it's not even the scandal. I'm a mess up too. It's not even the morality. I actually agree and wish abortion lights were pretty limited and we supported families and mothers more. It's not even the treatment of LGBTQ people. I know we don't hate them and I hope I can act justly to correct our bad image. It's that I can't commit to anything. So I pop into a social hour or drop some toiletries at a collection drive. I just don't know how to belong because I can't shake myself out of my spin cycle. I'm glad that I can come to mass once in a while or help with an event sometimes and not lose track completely. And I know that if and when I get it more figured out, the church will still be there. And I hope you are too, Hope. I appreciate you. Wow, that's the most I've written in one shot since college. Yeesh. Hope smiled, chuckled, even sniffled a bit as she read. The twists and turns of this last one had tied her up in knots. Man, I hope we're still here when you're ready to come all the way back. You'll always be a part of us in baptism, but I hope you don't fold up shop before your heart comes back to the full community life here, Hope thought. But geez, I gotta reestablish some majorly wider empathies here. 
I got to find a way to want deeper, wider engagement from these folks while also committing to deeper, wider accompaniment. Hope took another look around this place. She knew she was seeing these younger adults a bit like animals at a zoo, but she was trying to do so with fuller heart now. Hope knew that the community life, from prayer to faith sharing to outreach and service, could be a balm for much of what ailed many of these folks. And she wanted to figure out a better way to do this with and for them. She reached for her coffee. The bit of fat in the skim milk did its part to cut the acidity. The ice cooled the coffee and diluted it just a bit. The vanilla syrup brought a nice punch of sweetness. And the coffee itself brought the jolt of energy she sought. A big gulp went down smooth, and she felt the gentle boost of the cool liquid as it slid on its way. It all mixed up and worked together just right. She set down her cup on the table. In big, bold, black, crooked letters, the cup said, Hope. After three weeks and a day, Hope found herself back at her desk, laptop in familiar position, and sweating coffee cup close by. Her quest to identify what successful youth and young adult ministry looked like had not yielded her a clear answer. She had plenty of data and no working thesis. She had plenty of receptivity and input in the body paragraphs, but no concluding paragraph. She remembered the problems that pushed her to the edge and reviewed the aggregated intel that brought her fresh joy. She had compiled many mental notes, social DMs, and conversation details into a master doc, but she didn't have an integrative idea for carrying it forward. Yet. So what did she think successful youth and young adult ministry looked like now? She decided to change the question and change the goal. Hope meant instead now to do faithful youth and young adult ministry. And for now, she felt that meant stripping back her office-rooted frustrations and generationally angsty doubts and displacing them with pavement-pounding ministry, real retail work. Hope warned her pastor that it might mean goofier hours and less time in the office. Father Joseph agreed to give her some latitude and trust her to steward an unestablished process. She hoped one day it could mean filling all the spots on an ambitious and rich pilgrimage trip, or filling a brewery tap room with curious souls for a reimagined faith formation event, or building out a group of regulars that was diverse, deep, and variously reliable. But she knew that wasn't the main goal. Hope forced herself to do a little strategy before she waded out into unknown waters. The laundry list from the aggregate dock needed more targeted formulation. She made a table. The columns read, who they are, where they are, and when and how I'm meeting them. She then worked on the rows. Beside youth group members, she penciled in Sunday night, summer service trip, and mass. Below them, she added a row for teens not in youth group, and she identified some destinations. High school football and other sports games, theater and arts performances, parks and pools, and summer and holiday jobs. She added a row for core young adults and specified their regular check-in. She decided it needed to be at least quarterly and underscored the need for faith sharing and discernment to enter their practice over time. Below them, she added other local young adults and froze up at the prospect of finding and engaging them around the local community. Her light bulb moment came in thinking to check in with the adults who led her youth nights. She'd act surprised when she heard parish young adults came back from adult jobs and college life to help out. Hope would ask to get connected to them and try to build a fresh bond. She wanted to talk more to that Noah guy, too. She thought of Adam's return from freshman year, and so she added a row for college-aged students. In the next column, she noted that she should ask around to compile a list of where parish youth had gone for college the last few years. Between her notes, the parish staff, the priests, and parents' help, she felt she could build a nice database. Hope also thought she could identify and target some of the close-by campuses and some campuses with a big number of parish or local kids, and then she could compile pastoral social visits to keep in better touch. Maybe they could even double as college visits for teens. Now she was cooking. That would take better connections to parents, and this remained the thorniest issue. For all the newly learned complicating factors and the newly witnessed pastoral hacks, Hope still had to figure out how to get stronger buy-in from more parents, and none of the parents in her DMs had chimed in. Her messages there went ignored or read and not replied to, and so she identified just one more place for where they are, their homes. Hope resolved to make some home visits. In a gentle but mildly demanding way, she'd try to visit people at home. It'd give her a sense of their home life, make her engage them on their turf, and would reflect her desire to come to them and work together. Hope let out a big breath. That would challenge her. She took this moment to look up and down the page. Surely new rows would be added, or existing rows would be subdivided. Of course, new avenues to meet people and engage them would open up. 
The important thing was that the rest period work was done and the return to work synthesis had mildly begun and that there were clear steps to take next. She started by emailing the adults who had led youth night. Hope sent that first email and then headed over to the parish's food pantry space. She wanted to check with Larry. He'd be there prepping for two mornings for his Wednesday distribution. Larry was a contemporary, a not-so-young adult. She figured he could also use a sounding board, for he too had his share of frustrations with mobilizing the younger crowd, but it seemed like he kept his cool more steadily, especially lately. Only time would tell how successful this approach could or would be. But ultimately, Hope had now reoriented herself toward fidelity. She didn't want to be a marketing whiz or a productive branch manager. She wanted to be a John the Baptist or a St. Paul, pointing the way to Christ and forging connective bonds among God's people. The pilgrimage to find where people were and what they needed had become the new ministry. It felt tricky for a means to become the end, but she relished the people-centric nature of it. It seemed less productive, less efficient, less systematic. And that's why it felt okay. Ministry, and really faith itself, is largely about giving love as gift. The planning and preparation and administration and leadership that a minister brings to the work has to be done with unconditional love, offered to individual people and to a community as a complete gift. Yet numbers and headcounts cannot be totally ignored, especially when human power and financial resources are often scarce. There has to be some intentionality about how time and money are spent. It's okay to give new ideas a pilot runway and try them out over a trial period of time, even if quantity or quality of engagement starts off quite low. But eventually, tough decisions have to be made, which sometimes includes opting to end a project, to pivot to different ideas or priorities, or to try a different strategy or approach. So ministry is often about juggling the pure charity of love with the cruel realities of pragmatism. When it comes to ministry with youth and young adults, I think many segments of the church need to confront a difficult truth. The reservoir of loyal, committed families who simply show up to everything is drying up, and in some cases, is already emptied. In parishes, the core families who regularly come to Mass, who consistently re-register their kids for religious ed, and whose parents volunteer as catechists and support staff, are often not as numerous as they may have formerly been. In schools, the amount of students from families who have perennially practiced their faith in stable parish belonging and raised their kids with steady faith formation is dwindling. And often the pool of kids who are interested in ministry, service, and Christian leadership is then also smaller. We are now rarely operating from a pre-existing high baseline of engagement. But we shouldn't confuse this with the death of faith or of the church. Even if belonging, engagement, and other metrics of faith life are down, a human desire to be spiritually engaged and fed and to be a part of something bigger than oneself surely remains. Instead of being fatalistic, we have to acknowledge the need for a greater paradigm shift. We have to stop expecting turnout for ready-made, copy-paste events and shift our planning and preparation energy to what I'll call retail ministry. Pardon the cheap phrasing, but it comes from a parallel that I see to political campaigns. Consider candidates for office. Imagine them in small towns going table to table at coffee shops and diners, at senior living facilities and VFW halls, buying votes through one-on-one -on -one and small group conversations, 15 minutes at a time, day in and day out over the course of a long campaign. Catholic ministers need to embrace this grassroots relationship-building mindset and bust out of office-based, calendar-driven, programmatic, bulletin-ad-running, announcements-at-mass ministries. These things can still continue in a reduced, complementary role, but people who are paid to shepherd Catholic ministries professionally need to structure their time to allocate a greater proportion to retail ministry. This will mean more home visits, calling parents or young adults and asking if you can pop by with an appetizer to share, or resources to drop off and talk about in person. This will mean more coffee chats, meeting out at a, at a cafe, or setting up a coffee bar in a room at the rectory or school where you can host parents and young adults or even teens for friendly conversations. This will mean checking in with young adults at college campuses within day trip range, maybe loading up a car with a priest, a DRE, and a youth leader to go see your young people in their element for a day, and maybe share a meal or mass with them there. And from there, it will mean slowly developing programming, such as faith formation, shared prayer, or social fellowship, but around the ideas, the gifts, the passions, the interests, and the explicit ideas of these people. It means building relationships where your conversations with them reveal the ways in which they want to be fed, 
the ways they want to serve or lead, the ways they want to belong and be formed. Surely you may have to redirect or adjust an idea to make it more substantial or relevant, but the efficacy could be totally different when it starts with them. The longer we hang on to dated mindsets, planning things on our own and doggedly pursuing low-yield advertising strategies that struggle to engage people passively, the longer we'll struggle without progress in engaging more youth, young adults, and families. In Chapter 3, Hope pulls herself back from the cusp of burnout by deciding to take a rest, study the society in which she seeks to minister, and rebuild an approach that can renew her, renew her ministry, and better serve the young people she feels vocationally meant to serve. In these regards, I struggle with the part-time work I do around being mostly a stay-at-home parent. My job was intentionally structured to saddle me with much office-based support work as possible to free up our full-time active professed religious to do more quality and quantity of pastoral ministry for youth, for young adults, and discerners of religious life. I'm hoping that my future full-time roles in Catholic ministry will be opportunities for me to call my own bluff, chances for me to attempt this sort of focus in my own future work. In the meantime, I hope it can be an invitation to reevaluation for those of you in the vineyard full-time now. Instrumentals for this podcast were composed and performed by Jason Pham.